Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Thank you for having me. I am very thrilled to be with you this afternoon. So something that I mean, we talked about before we even got on camera was that just the idea. I mean, when I think about like couples or I guess individuals um, working together, I think of a, of a counselor or a therapist, mm -hmm. right? A building together. And then you focus on almost high, high worth individuals, individuals that are maybe building something out mm -hmm. there also in that sector. So what's the difference, I guess, from what you do compared to that that idea that first popped in my head when I thought about a couple's therapist, I guess. Right. Now, it's a great question, especially because I am a licensed clinical social worker and a trauma specialist by background for over 25 years before we transition. My husband and I own a personal development company that'll be 11 years in two weeks, 11 years old. Um, and in the personal development, we're all about self-actualization and optimization ultimately. So when I decided to transition from being in my psychotherapist and trauma specialist hat, that was coming from a space of helping people survive some of the most difficult things that they had to experience, whether it was grieving, bereavement, sexual assault, physical violence, all the things that they might have carried over into their relationship. And they had to paint this new picture and create a new chapter that they could walk together without all the baggage of the trauma, should I say, from where they mm -hmm. came from. And I wanted to expand. I wanted to do more than just help people get on their feet, which is a gift. And I'm grateful for the opportunity for the multiple decades that I had to do it. I don't take anything away from it. Therapists are necessary. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. Therapists are necessary. And they're specifically there to help you with rooted dysfunction and to allow you to process that in your own pace, in your own time. I'm really ambitious. I'm driven. I'm a go-getter. So I wanted to use that other part of myself too, which looks more like the coaching, consulting, strategic part of a human. And in order to do that, I had to be honest with myself. Could I do that as a therapist in the context of all the limitations that are there for someone who's licensed in specific states? I couldn't. So breaking my own box of limitations, I had to look at how I could go further and not just help couples that were going through something really difficult. But what about the couples that are really good? They're already good. They On paper, they look good. They take vacations together. Their families are Instagram perfect, relationship goals, all the things. However, there are some gaps there that they know that if they close them, they could become optimal and create a life that's you know, to be cheesy, filled with bliss. Those were the couples that I really wanted to work with. Those were the humans that I wanted to go further with. So as a balance and relationship advisor, I get to use my clinical tools whenever necessary to make sure that I keep people safe and not take them into a rabbit hole that I'm not qualified to get them out of. So we can see what some of those roots are that might be infecting their marriage today. I'm sure you know plenty of women who will remind you from 20 years ago when you wore that striped shirt, you said X to me, right? That's sometimes a, a sign of a rooted infection that they never really let go. Even though they're productive and high level and highly qualified in their business, they might have been holding on to some personal things that just wasn't letting them be the best version of themselves. So we work with a lot of couples and individuals that are really good 
but they want to be great. And we take them to the next level. So they're not just surviving, they're thriving. That's really the difference for us. All right. What, a, a question I have to ask before we, we dive a little more into your story. And this is going to be strictly generalizations, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What generalizations do you see for couples in, let's say, scenario one? is where one of them is working, the other one is basically the housewife or the house husband, mm -hmm. the other one where they're a partnership where they're working together, building a business, right? And they have a business together mm -hmm. compared to two, and then scenario three, three C is basically two business professionals, separate careers. Yeah, we work with all of them. Um, our main people are couple two and couple three <laughs> that you just okay, mentioned. Yeah. Um, but we've we've worked with all of them and we don't exclude the the house husband or housewife that is amazing and giving so much value to the home just because they don't have a tangible ROI that they yeah. can monetize, right? There are really big differences in some of the challenges or the gaps that can yeah. come up. And again, I'm not talking about any of the couples that are knocking on the door of divorce. Mm. Those are not the couples we prefer to, to work with. Um, we yeah. can, we just choose not to. Mm -hmm. We really are looking at the couples that are like, you know what, everything is great, but I feel like we're in a rut. There, it seems to be like mediocrity. Like we're good. There's no, no violence. There's no, uh, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to plan with you. I'm not sitting in the, the garage for 45 minutes trying to convince myself to go in the house. You know, I'm, they're not there. They're in a place where they're like, I'm in the house. I'm going, I'm doing the things, but I feel like we're passing ships. Your 80 hour week doesn't complement the fact that I'm making room for you. And I don't feel like you're making as much room for me because you're a high level businesswoman or businessman. A lot of the couples that are uh, both entrepreneurs but don't work together, they seem to have the most challenges than the executive and the entrepreneur or the yeah. high-level professional and the house um, husband or housewife, hmm. mainly because the two entrepreneurs typically, just speaking in generalizations, like you said, they're usually like, mine's is just as valuable as yours. My work is, you know, more meaningful on some levels, right? Depending on whether they're mission driven or um, passion driven, which can be totally separate things. And often they collide like um, the captain of the cheerleading, the captain of the football team and the quarterback. They're both really valuable to the game. But if you take one out, the game isn't the same, right? Mm -hmm. And they're both kind of competing with who's the priority position when their businesses are thriving. Those are usually our people, right? Because they're they're good. On paper, they are good, but they're missing these gaps that can create some tension that's unnecessary, that they don't have to have. Instead of seeing it as we can collaborate and not compete with each other. So we try to make sure the couples aren't competing with each other in terms of the business as well as, well, I planned the best vacation or I, you know, like, or I did this with our kids and you missed X number of recitals where I was the one doing it. And we try to get them to see how they can put more into the relationship when they see themselves as souls half as working best together, but not losing their individuality and not sacrificing their success. Because the reality is we're working with ambitious people. Neither one wants to tone down their ambition so the other one can, you know, bright up the sky and they shouldn't have to. So a lot of the work we do with our couples is helping them see if you feel like you need each other, we have a lot of work to do. 
We don't want you to need each other. I don't need my husband. And I've been with this man almost 30 years. And he doesn't need me either. We want each other. We look forward to being with each other. And if we feel like it's a little too much because I'm quite energetic and my husband is really low key. So my high energy can be a little too much for him, you know, depending on the day. Then I have to check that energy and say, well, my energy doesn't have to tone down. I just have to do something for me with that energy and not feel like I have to give it to him if he's not willing to receive it. So you got to, we're really helping them just see what they can do for themselves and ultimately become more intentionally selfish so they can own their right to their own space of joy. Well, let's rewind to a young Nikita. I mean, Mm. a young Nikita, was she that person that everyone came to with all their problems? I was. I was always the Nikita that, um, because my younger self was ignorant and um, very high ego, I was a fixer. I thought I had to fix people. Ultimately, once I did my rooted stuff and and got to the core of it, I was a nine-year-old, regardless of the age, 20, 30, didn't matter. I was a nine-year-old trying to save my mother. That's ultimately what I was doing when I was trying to fix other people. I wanted to help and serve to prove my worth, to prove that I was worth being a friend for, to being here. But that's really because nine-year-old Nikita, which is where a lot of the dysfunction and trauma happened for me when my mother abandoned me, a lot of that was coming up as a narrative that was playing out in all relationships, not just uh, romantic relationships. Hmm. And it it took me to do a lot of deep work to figure it out. Well, I mean, let's talk about before you, I guess you did the deep work. I mean, you're nine years old, abandoned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you were you still with family or what happened in that scenario? Yeah, so my um my story for anyone who's triggered by trauma, please wrap yourself in the bubble of love and understanding and knowing that I am safe and I am well and I am thriving. When I was 9, my mother was on drugs. She still is to this day. Wow. She was on drugs. She's also became a madam and heroin addicted and all kinds of different things over the course of her life. She had me at a very young age. She left me with my grandparents, who was my biological grandmother, and my step-grandfather, who raised her, who was also her abuser. They gave her an option to go to rehab when we discovered she was on drugs. I actually told them I found her little bag of not-so-good goodies because Mm -hmm. back in the day, we had the D.A.R.E. program in school, so we knew what crack vials looked like and all of it, and I found it. And you know, it was like, I got to help my mom. Let me tell these people who were not safe people for me, but they were the only other adults that I had access to. And we lived with them and I took it to them and all the things. And they told her, you got to go to rehab or you got to get out. And she said, well, I'm leaving. And my step-grandfather, who was a pedophile, who was also an alcoholic and very abusive said, well, you're not taking her if you're leaving. She looked at me and said, fine, keep her and left. And I was sitting at the top of the steps, hearing the whole conversation And what I remember as a nine-year-old, and I have no idea other than the grace of God why this number came to me, and I wrote it all in my book, Selfish, I literally said, I'm going to be 75% different. Why that number? I don't know, but it was in my spirit, which I didn't understand at the time. I needed to be different than what I was experiencing because she left me with abusers, a gambleaholic, a woman who was being abused. We woke up to the alarm of her head being thrown into a wall. Like she left me in that condition and chose her her sickness, basically. And I know it's a sickness and I know that well enough as a clinician now, but as a nine-year-old, I'm like, are you crazy? Are you leaving me with these people? Like what is going on? 
Um, and there was nothing I could do. There were no other safe people for, that were adults for me to go to. So I chose to go inward. I chose to try to fix all of the things that I thought was wrong. So I wanted to be better. I wanted to be less vocal because I was a very verbal kid. I wanted to be quieter. I wanted to dim myself so I could hide so I wouldn't be chosen for the abuse in the middle of the night, all <coughs> the things. And over time, that came out in really unhealthy ways until both therapy, mentors, spiritual advisors, angels that were sent my way in the form of neighbors and other people that would just help me in incremental ways. They really helped me get back to who I always was meant to be, which was not a fixer, not a saver, just a freaking dope, amazing woman who is here to impact and imprint the world, but not by being quiet about it. So how how long in, in your journey i mean how old were you in the journey did did you actually come to self realize all this ooh that was that was some time honey uh so i was 9 when that particular thing happened and obviously lots of things happened before and things happened after my step grandfather died uh when i was uh literally a week before my 14th birthday mm. and um of course, that overshadowed my birthday. And we were raised Jehovah Witness, so it wasn't going to be a party or anything anyway. But it was still an acknowledgement to myself that everyone forgot about. So all of those things, you know, played out in my head as not being worthy to be acknowledged. You know, all, all of those little scripts that you have as, as a youth. And I acted so out of pocket for years. I was like, oh, y'all want me to be that kid? I'm going to be that kid. So I was talking back. I was fussing. I wasn't cursing and I didn't cross over the disrespectful line to any of the adults, but I was definitely the, you know, you're not supposed to sign up for cheerleading or track or whatever. And I'm like, I'm forging your name. I'm signing everything. Like I was rebellious in that way. Um, and it took me, honestly, my husband and I were friends since 13, started dating at 17. It took me almost losing him in my early 20s. We were young parents as well. I got pregnant in my college year. I blame it on the, the 96, uh, 32 inches of snow that we had in Philadelphia. If, if school was open, I wouldn't have been in the dorm doing my thing. Um, but it was closed, so I did. Uh, we moved in together when my son was six months, and we moved into the house where I was abused. We took it over. And I didn't know enough to know that those to, to give it the description that I would give it, those demons were in the wall. Those reminders were in the carpet. Like everything was everywhere until he pointed out to me, and it took him some time, but he pointed out to me that I was cold and I was different than how we were when we were dating and we weren't living together and, and all the things. Um, and we, we quickly moved out in about less than a year. And as soon as we moved from that place to a completely different physical environment, it was like the shackles came off and awareness came. Change did not start. Just awareness set in, which is different. You can be self-aware and still not take action to change. You're just aware that you have the problems. I didn't know that my trauma had impacted me so deeply because it was my norm. This is just what I knew. I didn't know that other people's grandfathers didn't hurt them or touch them or grandmothers didn't literally lay there listening to what was happening. I didn't know that that didn't happen in other houses because that was my norm. My husband gave me, he wasn't my husband yet, but he gave me perspective of something is wrong with you and something is wrong with this. And I don't know who else is telling you is not, but you need to do some reflection and some self-check because he's such an amazing, non-perfect, but good person 
who was willing to fight with me, but I kept fighting him. I'm a survivor. So all I knew how to do was to fight and fuss and and point out and you know fix flaws, even if I had to create the flaw to fix it. And he basically told me, I don't need you to fix me. I got my own work to do, but I don't need you to fix me. I need you to fix you and to do what you needed to do for yourself. Ironically, I was a triple degree student, undergraduate in psychology, sociology, and anthropology. So I'm in the emotional behavioral sciences, learning human behavior for other people, but I wasn't willing to point the finger at myself. I was kind of trying to figure out what was wrong with everybody else in the world, not <laughs> pointing the finger back at myself. And in that discovery, knowing we had a young son at the time, he's now almost 26 and a dad and all the things, I just wanted more for him. And I didn't want to create, I didn't want to be a stereotype, quite honestly. I didn't want to be a young black woman who had a kid who wasn't with the man who helped her create this kid because she had so much baggage and so much anger and so much rage and so much hurt that I added to separating the family. I didn't want to be that statistic. I also didn't want to be the statistic that stayed in a relationship that wasn't serving me or wasn't healthy just because we had a kid. So I had to look at where was my gap? Well, part of the gap, Nikita, is you. Because this man is trying to be here for you, to communicate with you, to talk to you, to love on you, and you are pushing him away at every single turn. Stop pointing the finger at him. Not that he's perfect, because he definitely had his own challenges and issues. We were young growing up together. But what is going on with you? Um, and it took me to be in a really difficult situation at work because I was doing social work case management and all that. And it was another trauma that triggered me to go get help when a woman locked me in her house because she was having a psychotic breakdown. She was having a psychosis. Um, and I saw myself having an out-of-body experience, basically projecting my life where I would have been underneath a jail. And I saw all the rage. It didn't happen, but I physically saw myself coming out of my body, looking down, on her, it was a complete disassociative experience where I was like, I'm going to kill her because she locked me in the house and was threatening my life. And I kept thinking I needed to get back to my family. And in the midst of that, I knew that all that rage that was coming up didn't belong to her. She was in a vulnerable position, having a psychosis, which I was trained to deal with, but it triggered something in me that was deep that I didn't understand. And from there, I went to get help to debrief from that and all the other stuff got unlocked. Like, listen, girl, do you know that it's not normal for you to be walking around with all this rage with a smile on your face? Do you know that most people don't live like this? Like, I had to have someone more qualified than me to help me hold the mirror up to myself and do that. And that was a therapist, a qualified therapist. I had to do the deeper rooted stuff in my own time, in my own process, which was well over three years of therapy before I could get to a space where I could now survive in a in a healthy way versus the survival skills that I was using, which were more underground and that were really keeping me quite limited. I hope that answered your question. No, no, definitely. It answered that question and probably a lot of other ones that I was going to get to. I told you I'm really verbal. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fantastic. I mean, I, I guess it goes back to, to the to the next idea. I mean, mm -hmm. when did you know and when was that point of time that the the student actually becomes the, the master, kind of actually can help other people? Yeah. Was there a moment that you remember or was it just kind of over time that you felt more comfortable uh, teaching? 
Yeah, I would say the growth was organic and it was slow. Um, we joke to this day that I have very delayed reactions, which I think are a saving grace because if I caught the shade that people gave me in the moment, it might trigger that old person. <laughs> so I think the delayed reaction was was healthy, but it also allowed me to go into the process of growth and healing in the way that I need it versus doing it on someone else's timeline. So it took me years to get to a space where I could be honest with myself about where I was. I was definitely in my late 20s. I'm in my mid 40s now. I was in my late 20s at the time doing the work, by the way. I was already a clinician. So I just want to be really clear with everyone listening. I was already the expert telling other people how to do the thing, how to survive and move through things when I too was also struggling. I was just maybe a couple of paces above where they were and helping them move through. So I want everyone listening to be really mindful that the people you see on a pedestal as major helpers and all that are human. And they're going through their own version, hopefully not exactly what you're going through in that moment. Hopefully they're a little few paces of, of ahead of you to help you through it. But I definitely was in the trenches with my stuff. I will say um, somewhere around, we had nine pregnancies. Um, I have two biological children. I had two children that I chose not to bring into this world. And I had stillbirths and miscarriages in between. It wasn't the stillbirth that I had. It was one of the last miscarriages that I had that really triggered me to wake up, that I had done a lot of the healing work. I had done a lot of the dis the, the rooted dysfunctional work healing. And it was time for me to now choose myself as worthy of thriving. Because I was still in a, you know, it was a good, good looking survival with a house and a picket fence and 2.5 kids and the dog and all that. But I was still on the edge. I wasn't thriving. So I was probably in my early 30s when I said, I need something different from me and my husband. And I want to break the generational curses. I don't want to just be a couple of paces above where my parents or my grandparents or anyone was in, in terms of what we could give our kids. I want them to have something that's out of this world. And I don't want to do it for them. I want to do it for me, as selfish as that is. I want to choose me. And I reminded myself of when I was 15 and I had to make my first intentionally selfish decision to choose myself when I left. I had moved back in with my mother for a couple of years and it was a horrific time, but I did it because she had my brother who's 12 years younger than me. And I really wanted to be there to save him, to help him, all of it. But I realized that I was going to be in jail. My mother was a madam. She had pimps in and out of the house. She was, you know, literally offering me up. It was a whole thing. And I knew that if I did not leave, I would be under the jail somewhere or, or dead. And I had to, I was, I was 15. I couldn't take my brother with me. So I had to leave him. And that was the hardest decision to this day that I ever had to make at that time, because I knew that there were so many ways that it could go for him but I could do nothing if I didn't choose myself. And I had pushed that down as a way of just kind of um, dealing with the, that hard choice. I didn't receive it as a good thing. I did it as a survival thing. So about 15 plus years later, I reminded myself of that choice and how good it was because I was able to take custody of him when he was a little older, when he was 13. And my husband and I brought him in and gave him stability. Now, I was able to do exactly what I wanted to do. I just couldn't see it at that time. So I reminded myself of what good can come out of choosing yourself. 
even when it's selfish, even when it's hard, even when no one else understands. And that was the pivot for me is when I literally reminded myself of something I did over a decade and a half prior, but I wasn't really ready to look at it before then because it was this, there's no other way to say it. It was like a secret shame that I chose myself, but it was the only reason that I'm living. I would not have survived if I stayed there. It was no way that I would have not become some other Nikita. It wouldn't be the one that's sitting here with you today. I guarantee you that. Well, well, talking about, I mean, who's here today? I mean, your your business is really defined, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the structure of it, who you're looking for. My guess, right, is it wasn't as refined when you first started in this in this business. I mean, where has that kind of tradition, the growth of going, these are the people that I resonate the most with. These are the people I can help. Where did that come from and, and how did it kind of come to fruition? Yeah, it came from a lot of failure. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so when we started our company, um, May of 20, 2011, um, it started literally, I was in school and my first doctoral program, I'm a nerd. I stand by that fully embraced. Um, and I was doing some 30, 40 page paper in this tiny little 1500 square foot house. I'm upstairs. My husband's downstairs. He's a, a night owl. And I was writing the paper and I just had a pause moment where I was, I just couldn't concentrate on the paper. And this download came in of like, we need to start the company. I already had the vision quite some time before, but I just wasn't brave enough to implement it. I was on a career track. I was a leader as a clinician in a medical social work position at the number one rated children's hospital in the world, like all the things. And here I go being Nikita, being rebellious, wanting to shake things up. And I was really afraid to do it two years prior when I first had the vision. So on this particular night, it was May 9th to be specific, I literally sent my husband a text message from upstairs and we're, I could throw a pencil to his head. That's how small this little house was. I sent him a text message and basically said, you know, what if we just started the business by opening a staffing agency with a professional development arm that we could grow in because we could take the best of your skills with, you know, the things that you do for work and operations and all that. And everyone comes to me for a job because I'm a social worker and a clinician. When they need something, they all come. And what if we could just do that so we could really help families because finances is one of the main things that break families apart. What about that? My husband at that time in our life had always been the guy that if I say the sky is blue, he's like, actually, it's teal. Like he was always that person, um, which was one of the things that I loved about him because he challenged me at my core. And he actually said, come downstairs. Let's talk about it. So it was a moment where I was like, oh, all right, stopped everything, went downstairs, and we talked for hours. There was such this high adrenaline, elevated energy between the both of us, and we created this plan. We both thought it would be at least a year or so before we would get started. He forgot who I was. I take the ball by the horn, and I'm a quick decision maker. Um, so that was May 9th. By May 17th, we were an LLC officially. Um, by October, we had moved into a three-year lease for a brick-and-mortar location. Like, mm. I play no games. And he forgot <laughs> that quick. He thought it was going to be this whole time frame. And, of course, in moving so quickly, you usually do it by a book. So I took the small business book. I'm an entrepreneur, not a small business um, provider. And I didn't understand the differences because I didn't have any leadership to help me in that. No mentors, no coaches, 
The only entrepreneurs I knew were street pharmacists, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> I, you know, I didn't have that version of advice. And I went to the school, the local score, the SBA, like I just did it that way. And they gave me really a really good blueprint for a small business owner, mm. not for an entrepreneur, which was my first failed lesson in understanding the difference. And so I moved through this company as a small business owner, starting this grand idea of we'll start with the staffing agency, we'll have professional development and our coffee cup, because I was smart enough not to waste money, will be a free 30 minute training so they could see how awesome our employees are that they'll want to be in their organization and then they'll have us come in and train all the rest. Like I had this whole grand plan, which is amazing. And there's lots of companies that are thriving with that model that I honestly thought that I made up. It wasn't what I was called to do. The idea of building stronger families was absolutely my mission and it was dead on. The way that I went about it was completely wrong. I didn't know nothing about staffing besides what I researched and, you know, and what I threw myself in and kind of gave myself a quick mini dissertation in. But my energy, my vibration is a healer. That doesn't necessarily coincide with a staffing agency, even one that has a professional development arm and all the things. And I didn't understand that using my gifts as someone who's anointed in exhortation and can synthesize information and really get to the root of your trauma, I didn't understand that those gifts can't be put aside if you really want to thrive. I thought that I would go by this small business book and do all the things. It was Wharton approved by, with their consultants and all the textbook things you do to make sure you have an airtight business plan. And it was really good for someone else. It was horrible for us. So we lost over $100,000 in the first six and a half to eight months of business. All of our, we were bootstrapped. We are the black couple that you read about that had a 750 plus score that still got denied by all the business banks because we were black people with no experience in business. So we bootstrapped from all of our savings. My husband took out his 401k, all the things, and we lost all that money. You can imagine that that, impl that impacted our marriage. My husband is a very logical guy. And he's super creative and introverted and all that. With that said, he grew up with an architecture dad and a mom who stayed at home, who's the most brilliant human that I've ever met to this day. And I didn't have those experiences. So I'm like, we can get through it. And he was like, listen, what we're not going to do is take my paycheck to pay payroll. So we need to figure this out or you and I are going to have a bigger problem. And I could see the seriousness in his eyes, which made me really do some deeper reflection. I had happened to pay for a conference already in advance, thank God, because I wouldn't have been able to afford it otherwise. And that three-day marketing conference really became a version of an altar call for me to step into my new self as a businesswoman formally and not feel like I had to go by someone else's playbook, live in someone else's box, no matter how gilded it was. And I had to break the box and do what I knew I felt naturally inclined to do, no matter how uncomfortable it was. And that shifted everything. And that was probably spring of 2012 when it just shifted. There were still trials and errors and failures that came from me trying to figure it out and attract the right coaches and mentors for me. Um, we even had a bad real estate advisors. <laughs> like, you know, we had a lot of failure, okay, <laughs> in that realm. Because um, we just weren't ready. We weren't ready to really put in the work that was going to take us past that discomfort. We were 
used to doing the grimy hustling work and not the quantum leap. So once I opened myself up to the reality that I was worthy of attracting amazing realtors in my life, amazing coaches and advisors, not people who just wanted my money and to placate or to, you know, say they had this black woman, uh, you know, who makes X number of dollars on their bill as their client. Once I became ready, I started to attract the right people in my ecosystem to guide me. And nothing's been the same since. What was the driving force? I mean, I guess some people call it the, your big why mm -hmm. of pushing forward when you lost all this money, lost all the savings, instead of going to a corporate job, a nine to five job, something else that's more secure. Yeah. So then that would be easy, <laughs> which is the opposite of my DNA. I've never done anything easy. It is mm -hmm. a, I have a visceral reaction in my body when someone says something simple, like, oh, the simplest thing is for you to do one, two, three. And I'm like, well, how can I get to three without doing one and two. I don't want to do it that way. Not that I'm trying to skip steps, but simple does not resonate with me. It never has. I've always done things in a different way. And I had to learn from myself that it's not about being difficult or reinventing the wheel just for reinventing the wheel's sake. I'm a box breaker. And when I don't break boxes, that's when I start to suffocate. So mm -hmm. I needed to break the box of expectation, which is that a new business was destined to fail within the first three to five years. And I was definitely in, right? Like six to eight months in, we're in that. And what? Fell and have to give up? That's not Nikita Ren Thigpen. That's not who she is. If that was the case, she would have became the owner of several strip clubs, which was her destiny with, you know, crack cocaine and stuff out the back room. Like that's what I was trained for as a young person. Like I, you know, listen, I was always a hustler. I was going to make something happen. It just wasn't necessarily in the interest of society. So, but to do it, to break the box and do it in the interest of society, to build stronger families, which is what my nine-year-old self desperately wanted. I desperately wanted to build the families that I wish I had that was helpful and affirming and didn't call their kids stupid or whores or any of that at 12 years old. I wanted the family that wouldn't vomit their baggage or their trauma onto their kids and create this multi-generational cycle. And in order to do that, I had to be tenacious and be open to learning and having other people actually guide me without feeling like they were trying to get something out of me and, tr you know, trying to manipulate me because that's what I knew. And once I settled with that in myself, it was like, all right, you can either go down swinging or you can go down swinging. Those are your two options. One way or another, your family, your legacy, your grandbabies, and the generations after God willing will be more than okay. And I'm not just talking about money. Money matters, as you know, because I can't buy great real estate if I don't have money, right? Like money matters, but money is an energetic tool that we use to do the greater work. When you sell houses or commercial property, it's to help people expand on their dream and be able to create new chapters in their life that outlive them, hopefully, by multiple three, four, five plus generations. Well, I can't do that if I'm just doing what is expected of me. So I had to break my own expectation 
of becoming a statistic, of failing, of doing exactly what my grandparents said. You're going to be just like your mother, you know, like all the things that they would hammer into me in order to do different. I had to be different. And that was the hardest thing because I'm the biggest barrier. My husband isn't my barrier. He's not my challenge. Me being a young parent and having kids, they weren't my barrier or my challenge. They added to the frustration. Don't get me wrong. Because I was in college and walking around nursing the baby on Drexel University, daring somebody to say something to me with my African fabric wrap garden around me, holding the baby in the back of the class, wishing someone would say something. But I did it because I wanted to be on the other side. I wanted to prove to me that I was worthy. Where do you see your business going in the next five years? You've adapted, you've grown, you've changed over the, I mean, the years you've been in the business so far. Where do you see that that growth going down the road in five years? Uh, we are absolutely becoming a multi-billion dollar empire. We might not be there quite in five years. We not, might need a couple of more, <laughs> depending on what that is. Because for some reason, attracting quality talent seems to be the challenge of this particular year. And I know COVID has a lot to do with that. Um, so that's been a little bit of a slowdown for us because we want people that actually want to be in it and to do the work. We also have um, something that's a major differentiator, which has been a challenge for us, is our clients are completely discreet. We have complete confidentiality. Your, if I'm working with you, your wife won't know unless you tell her. If I'm working with your with wife, you know, you won't know unless she tells you. Most of our team don't know our whole Rolodex of clients because you mm. only know who you need to know for what you need to know in your role in our in our organization. And the main reason for that is because everyone is about publicizing everything. Nothing is private anymore. And I know with my deep, dark stuff that I had to go through, I wouldn't have felt comfortable if I didn't feel like I had the most safe space outside of my own mind to be able to share what was really coming up with me, why I was resistant or why I wanted something greater without feeling survivor's remorse over it than maybe my siblings might've had access to at the time. Uh, and we wanted to give that, you know, a lot of our clients are celebrity, some are just low, low profile, but high quality, you know, producers, tech people behind the scenes. They don't want someone who's like, hey, can you take a selfie with me so people know that I work with you? They get that all the time. So that does create a little bit of a challenge because we are like the best kept secret, but our referrals are super strong. So mm -hmm. as long as our clients keep being ambassadors and I keep being invited into amazing platforms like yours where I get to share the pieces, then we attract all that we need to work with and everyone's information is sacred. We don't record anything like it's literally the most sacred space that I can create. And it is a major plus for us. And it has created some some challenges along the way. No, it definitely makes sense. I mean, if someone's listening right now and they're feeling that there's your story correlates to who they are or where they've been and they're looking to grow, what's the best way of them getting more information or reaching out to you? I would say get on my calendar. The best thing that you can do is go to thigpro.com, which I'm sure the information will be yeah. in the show notes at the bottom. There's a little calendar mark up there, book an appointment. As of right now, in the next six weeks, you will get me. After that, you might get one of our certified success architects to answer. But at the end of the day, if you're qualified, if there's an alignment, 
you'll end up with me anyway, because, you know, I am the number one balance and relationship advisor in the world, and I'm unapologetic about it. Well, thank you, Nikita, for being here. I'm going to finish off with one, one last question. Is if maybe someone, I mean, is it a teen, a young, young kid, mm -hmm. and they're in that situation, maybe not that, maybe a little bit older than the nine-year-old that you were, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit older maybe to kind of like realize and kind of be in the moment everything. Is there any advice you would give to that, that, that young person? Yeah. Uh, one, I would say don't discount the people who are truly supporting you. There's a lot of young people who are surrounded with healthy adults that actually want to help, but because of your trauma, you're side-eyeing everything as, well, what do you want out of it? And just to have a conversation with that healthy adult. It could be a neighbor. It could be a teacher. You know what, Mrs. Jackson? You told me the next time I need to talk or if I ever need to talk, I can come to you. And I just want to ask you, why did you open that up for me? Why did, Why do you want to create space for me? And let them give you an answer so you can see from your own discernment, because even as a 9, 12, 15-year-old, you have discernment to give them an opportunity to tell on themselves. I always say that. Give people long enough and they will tell on themselves. You just have to give them an opportunity to share their truth. And that truth will either say, hey, I'm a good person right now for this moment, or you know what? Run. <laughs> I'm not a good person. And you do have to trust yourself. I had 11 mother angels, as I call them, that were there for me in different aspects. No one saved me, but I had a, a neighbor who just offered me a hot dog, which gave me a safe place to escape for 15 minutes. And I love her to this day for those small little moments when she said, Kia, come in here and get a hot dog. And I said, okay, Miss Garrett, right? Like just that safe environment of seeing a little peek at what normal is because their house was very normal as opposed to mine. I had my mother in love who I didn't know would become my mother in law over years when I was 13. She corrected me. She checked me. Listen, I know you got a lot going on, but what you won't do is be disrespectful in your tone about any adult in here. So if you want to share anything that's going on with you, baby, it's safe, but you, you want to come correct. I needed that structure. She did it out of love. Everything isn't rainbows and ice cream. So really being mindful of what you're feeling from people is what I would tell any young person, because they are the brilliant generation, for what they're experiencing is listen to your gut. Is this person safe? Are they not safe? And it doesn't mean that they're your BFF forever. It's just for right now. Is this the respite that you need right now? Thank you again, Nikita, for, for being on to the Road to Growth podcast. I think for everyone listening, I mean, even if it's not a personal related situation where you've you've been taken advantage of by a by a partner or by a client or I mean a mentor, whoever it might be, doesn't mean all clients, all mentors, all partners are gonna be bad. Learn from those situations and, and, and fail forward. Figure out from that from that item, figure that issue from that situation and protect yourself. But Give the person, give another person the benefit of the doubt until, like Nikita says, let them screw up, mm -hmm. but give them the benefit of the doubt and know what you should be looking for when that next issue item comes about. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, please share, and go in the show notes and, and find Nikita.
Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.